Hello and welcome to Word of Life and our Wednesday night teaching series. This week, Rick Morgan continues out of Ephesians chapter 4, where he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And he has titled this message, An Awakening. I can't wait for you to hear it, and I can't wait for you to be blessed by it. God bless. Thank you, Pastor. It's, uh, I'm going to talk about the title of this message is um, an awakening, and it's based exactly, uh, I'll just say it this way, um, I've had some thoughts just rolling around in me, probably for several years, but really a big emphasis on it, uh, almost an uneasiness about certain things and the paradigms and things that I'm, I'm, I've been automatically just functioning in, uh, in ministry, and when Pastor talked about, he mentioned the, the equipping of the saints for the work of the mission, when I saw that title, uh, I knew exactly um, when pastor asked me to speak what to talk about. And uh, I want to just start off if we can. It's on your text. And let me just let me just say this. This is not a homiletical, hermeneutical message. These are just thoughts that I've tried to simulate and and give. And, and th- it'll probably be some things that, you know, maybe I'm wrong. You know, uh, I feel I'm supposed to talk these things out. And I do not feel worthy of saying what I'm going to talk about tonight or communicating. I'm not the uh, definitely not the brightest bulb on this subject for sure. But I know God wants me to talk about it. And I think it's something that we have to begin that some subjects that we need to begin to navigate. And sometimes it's just by the by entering in and even daring yourself to deal with issues that you begin to really find out who you are and what needs to change. And so if I say anything that you feels off, I have no problem. I'm, I'm in process here, but uh, God is just, I mean, I can't explain it. I could just cry right now because of the things that God is moving in me and I don't understand them, but I feel I'm supposed to begin to talk about them in a way. Hopefully that brings grace. And I will say some predictions, but I do not consider it prophecy. I am not a prophet. You know, uh, I, there are a lot of people out there that, man, if you prophesy and you miss it, they're going to stone you a lot. And, you know, a lot of pastors preach a lot of messages and they realize they were wrong, but they don't get stoned, you know. And I so I'm just saying I'm not a prophet, but I do feel like I'm going to talk about some things that are of maybe a prophetic nature. Uh, but it's just my opinion. You know, I, I it's not like God has said exact. There are things that I feel that maybe the Holy Spirit showing me, but I'm in process. So I would like us to start off with Acts chapter one, we're going to read verses one through eight. And I do want to say this. I believe what Pastor Bill said, this is what I felt, Pastor Bill, and I might be wrong about this, but I feel that when he said, he, he, he talked about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And when he began to talk about, you know, in the fifties was the time of evangelists and in the sixties of pastors and all that, I felt like he was opening a door, not to a revival, but to an awakening. I think God wants to present an awakening to us. And I want to talk about that a little bit. Lord, I just come to you and I, I'm not worthy. I, I don't know how to say this. I am not anybody that can talk about these things without your help. I ask that you help me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So it says here in verse 1, The former account I've made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both and do and teach, until the day that he was taken away after he, through the Holy Spirit, 
had given them, uh, have given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. What an incredible thing. Being seen by them during 40 days. Can you imagine a greater revival than to be with the resurrected Christ doing constant miracles? And speaking of these things pertaining to the kingdom of God, it says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you've heard from me for, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy spirit. Not many days from now. Therefore, when, when they had come together, they asked him the saying, Lord, when are we going to build our church? Basically is what they're saying, right? They're saying, uh, they're saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? When are we going to build our kingdom? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses or martyrs in the Greek, it says uh, to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And listen to what it says here. And while they were look, while they looked steadfastly toward the heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood up in white apparel who also, uh, who also said, men of Galilee, why are you standing here doing nothing? Basically what he's saying. But we want more glory. We want more presence, Lord. We're going to talk about some things here. Why do you stand here gazing in heaven? This same Jesus is coming back, who has taken you from, uh, this, this same Jesus, who was taken up from you to heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go to heaven. In other words, a.k.a. get busy and build Jesus' kingdom. Don't just stand and wait for gold dust to fall on you. Now, I'm not against all of that, and I'm not trying to make fun of that, but I, I think there's something here that I'd like to talk about. Now, first of all, I just want to start off saying, I 100% believe in revival. I've gr- I was grown up in a Pentecostal spirit-filled home. I've seen things that I, I my mom, will she can testify. When I was seven, I went to vacation Bible school, and I got saved, and my mom was into different works of the occult and all those things that she could tell you all those things. And I came home and said, I want to go to church. And she started taking me to the uh, uh, pyramid church. You know, we're monks and I'm, no, that's not what I want. That's I, there's not, this is not God. And, and we finally came to a church. And then when I was eight years old, I got radically baptized in the Holy spirit. I'll never forget it. We went to a church called church, Episcopal church called church of the redeemer that had caught fire, the Holy spirit in the Jesus movement. I'll never forget it. I go, I remember after Sunday, not Sunday school, it was a Friday night class they had for kids. We got out early because the teacher was too lazy to do the whole class. I show up and there's a, there's probably a hundred barefoot, some of them barefoot, just stinky hippies. And guys, I heard a melody and a worship in that sanctuary that was so melodious and beautiful and anointed. I've never heard that before. And the, and the young guy was up there talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't know exactly what that meant, but I knew I wanted it. And I grabbed a hold of a teenager who was like probably 15 years old. I said, I want that. And you're in my way. 
And then a lot of teenagers stand around and said, you pray for him. He just said that believers lay hand on the sick. You do it. And I said, I don't care who does it. I want to speak in tongues. I want to be filled. And he laid his hands on me and bam, it was just like that. No one had to say, say Shondala five times or, you know, or, you know, whatever. There were, no, it was God. It was real. No one had to convince me of anything. I mean, I believe in revival. When I was 12 years old, I attended a camp called Camp Pearl Wheat. A lady by the name of Rachel Cook, a young girl who went to Stratford High School in Houston, Texas. She got saved. She was a cheerleader and she began to preach in school. And the school had to literally shut down classes because people were falling out and getting saved. In a secular school, Rachel Cook, who turned into Rachel Birchfield. And I went, I went, when I went to Camp Pearl Wheat, she prophesied to a young man. We saw people getting saved and filled with the spirit and falling out and all kinds. It was crazy. It was like, I don't know if, you, if you've seen this before, it's called, I call it divine chaos. It seems chaotic, but it's not. And, 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 and what, she prophesied this one little boy and said, you know what? She said, God's going to speak to you because you're rebelling. And, 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 uh, and so what happened was she ended up, I, one, after one of the services, I was behind the church pavilion where we were in the camp. And I, I saw, and you guys won't believe this, but it doesn't matter. You can talk to Rachel. You can talk to 60 other people who saw it. I saw a physical angel and it scared me to death. I saw it and I saw it talking to that young man. There was another guy with him. And I got down with Dondi, who was a friend of mine. He remembers this. He's still tripping about it. And I, I was crawling like an army guy. I was scared. I know what it means when, when God, uh, when the angel said, Mary, do not fear. Joseph, do not fear. It is a scary thing to see an angel. And I remember I started crawling towards that angel. And I thought, I don't care what it is. If it's God, I want it. I want it. And I remember those just times of the beautiful sweetness. You know how you know the Holy Spirit's present? There's a sweetness. Not a, you're no good for nothing. What are you doing here? That's not, that's the devil. There's a precious sweetness. I remember when I was 15 years old in our church at Faith West, we went through some familiar issues and I've rebelled from the Lord for a couple years and I'll never forget even while I was getting drunk as a young teenager I remember the presence of God he never said he didn't like me or he's upset he would just say I love you Rick and I catch myself and I'm not trying to be funny I was drunk and I would be in my stupor and come to myself and I'm leading all my friends to Christ. And many of them are still in church today. I don't know how. I remember going to church during that time. I remember Gary got up to the pulpit and he fell flat on his face. You remember that service? Everybody fell flat on their face. I was crying. Over and over and over, saying over and over, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you. I can only feel the love of God. I don't know how to explain it. Such an overwhelming love of God. I'm sorry, I don't mean to cry. And when I got up, Brad Morgan, who was a janitor, wait, I mean, kind of gets me up. It had been like three hours. I didn't know. It seemed like five minutes to me. My clothes were saturated with sweat. 
I couldn't eat. I had no energy. Oh, I remember when shortly after that, we had a Bible study in our house with 50 teenagers. This girl comes in who had been abused by her stepdad for 10 years, comes in, wants to accept the Lord, but they take her. My mom takes her back to the back room, saw something was wrong, falls on the ground and starts moving like a serpent. They cast the demon out. And you can ask my mom. That girl, I'm not going to say her name because it's personal information, but she gets saved. And on the moment she got saved, she speaks uncontrollably in tongues. I don't understand it. I'm sure she could have said, no, God, I don't want it. I don't think the Holy Spirit, but it was such a, a beautiful, beautiful presence, the Holy Spirit. She And she could only speak in tongues. And when she spoke in English, she was prophesying to people. And every time she went up to somebody, they were falling on their knees. You remember that? They were falling on their knees. She was reading their life. This girl didn't even know what prophecy was. She didn't even know what being filled with the Spirit was. All she knew was she was broken and Jesus healed her. Then she laid her hands on another girl and or just prayed for her. And she started doing the same thing. She had been, been had some problems. I'm telling you, broken people are perfect ground for God to do great things. In that whole house, everybody's falling down, falling down, falling down. What I'm trying to tell you is I believe in revival. I believe it with all my heart. So what I say tonight, I do not want you to take, to get the wrong idea. I remember in El Salvador, we had a service and a lot of abuse in every sense of the word. All those kids abandoned by all those who come here. And I won't even go and explain all that. But there was just a rush of the Holy Spirit in that room and everybody is dancing uncontrollably crying because they're being healed by the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, there's, there is a, there's revival, there's an anointing. There's a power of the Holy Spirit. I've heard some people talk about Brownsville and they go in and they criticize. They say, ah, and they go out and they're changed. And I, I, I see things I don't understand, but I'm going to be careful what I say. Is I do not want to be a spiritual Michael and become barren. So I believe in revival. I really do. But I'm going to talk to you about one point tonight that I think is very important of what I believe God's going to do. And I think the first question we have to ask ourselves is, what is God's purpose for revival? And I believe it's simply to wake up God's purpose in your life, to wake you up to God's purpose in your life. I feel a better name for that would be awakening. I think revival, we don't need revival. We need an awakening. And I'll explain what I mean by that. And it may be semantics. I'm not. Um, so what does an awakening look like? Well, here's the first thing and the only thing I want to talk about tonight. I believe that the next awakening will be more about making disciples of nations than soaking. That's the only word you need to put there. Soaking. I believe with all my heart that the next awakening will be more about making disciples of nations than soaking. Again, I love revival. But unfortunately, in my opinion, the most, the, 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 uh, most of the revival events that I have seen in history have resulted in a soaking experience for the saints with little to no impact on the world. I'm sorry, but that's what I've seen. It's become a lot of people waiting for this, this tsunami of Joel chapter 2 to fill us. But they're not going out and being witnesses and changing the world. 
I remember being in church service and hearing a worship song over and over and over and worshiping and crying. And then I remember over three, three, four, five hours. I'm like, and I remember thinking, how long does a service have to last for people to stay saved? Why are you looking into the sky? I got work for you to do. That's what I think Jesus is saying. I think that's what he said there. It's the same thing that happened to the disciples or the apostles when Jesus rose from the dead and disappeared into heaven. The apostles were in the midst of an amazing revival. They just seen Jesus day after day for 40 days do miracle after miracle after miracle, presence, wonderful. And they all want to stay in Jerusalem until Stephen died. They want to hang out and build something and stay there. This is where we're at. I saw this person filled there. I saw God healed this person there and they're living there. They're living. And, and sometimes what happens, a movement of God turns into a bronze serpent that later on Moses has to, or, or somebody has to destroy and put it in water and make everybody drink it because they worship the movement instead of the God of the movement. And, but, but the thing is, is they were there. <clears throat> Listen to what it says in Acts chapter two, verse three. It says, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering with many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. How many of you guys think you'd be revived if you were there for 40 days seeing God do a Jesus, the resurrected Christ. That'd be awesome. I can't think of a better revival in history. I probably was the greatest one in my opinion. So in the midst of this amazing revival, the apostles asked Jesus a question. Hey, when are we going to establish a kingdom? When are we going to build our church? And we need to build churches. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not implying that. Churches are, 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 are the heartbeat. I mean, uh, you know, anyway, a heartbeat of what God's doing. He does everything through the local church. But, um, but he basically they're saying, hey, when are we going to build your kingdom? And he said, look, that's not for me to decide. That's not even for you to decide. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Jerusalem to be filled with the Holy Spirit to reach the world. That was the mission. That was the plan to reach the world. And then Jesus jets off into the sky. Now, I imagine, this is my opinion, I imagine just like us today, the apostles were hanging out at church. Just give us another hour of your presence. God, we just want to linger in your presence. We want to know you. Now, we need to know God. We need to worship God. But we can know and worship God better in heaven than we can here. Does that make sense? And it is a purpose. We need to grow in our relationship with God. We need to worship God. But at some time, we, need to, we also need to worship God by loving those who he loves. We have confused. We think loving God sometimes is just, here, God, take some glory. Here, take some glory. Let me tell you the best way you can give glory to God. That's my opinion. Go out and reach somebody for Christ. That's real glory. That's real glory. You know, see, God doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need our praise. He wants us to worship and praise him so that we are in a state of humility so he can flow through us. But God is not insecure. He's not an insecure child saying, saying, please love me. Please, I had a bad day. Satan whooped me. He doesn't need it. He wants it because just like a, a, a father or, or, or a mother wants their child to have an obedient 
and respectful and honoring heart towards them. Does that make, and we need to worship God. I'm not, please don't get me wrong. We need that. That's where it all starts, but it can't end there is what I'm trying to say. All right, I'm just throwing these things out. Um, so I think in the midst of this amazing revival, the apostles asked Jesus about the kingdom and he says, hey, you focus on what I told you to do. We don't worry about that right now. And I think that the apostles were like, you know, God, feel us, touch us, heal us. You know, and, and we just need your presence. We need to be healed. And, and basically saying, look, I need you to go reach people. I need you to be a part of my great. Find your role in this thing of making disciples of nations. That's what I think he, he basically was saying. Right. Because this angel shows up. And he says, and they're like. God, can you just stay? Jesus, can you just stay just another hour with us? You know, and they're like stuck in a place of, of, of just awe of the presence of God. And this angel comes. And can you imagine the goosebumps they felt at that moment? Seeing Jesus go after 40 days. And this angel come and says, why are you doing nothing? You want to worship Jesus? Go out and build him a kingdom. You want to show your real love to him? Go out and do something that brings people to his feet because he loves them just as much as he loves you. I think that's what the angel was saying. And I think that we're, a lot of times we're focused more on soaking in than fulfilling the command of Jesus to make disciples of nations. And uh, I put this here, an example. Yeah, and I already said that, so I won't even say that again. Um, maybe the heavens are declaring us, declaring to us tonight, it's good that you worship me. It's good that you spend time in prayer. We all, it's not good, it's necessary. We need to worship God. We need to spend time, but we can't keep it there. We also love God and worship God by declaring his word to other people, declaring his love reaching people or finding our role. Maybe you're not a preacher, but maybe you're somebody that puts things together so someone else can preach. You're just as important. But where's our role? And I think that's what pastor's talking about. We are all called to this ministry. This is it. It's like Jesus is saying, I get it. You want my presence. You want my love. But do you love those who I love? Because if you really love me, You'll love them too. It's kind of like, I, I thought about this. It's kind of like a, a husband, a young husband in love with the glory and beauty of his wife. And he's staying in the house. He said, he say, I love you. Uh, you're so beautiful. I love your presence, your glory. And at some point in time, the wife's going to say, well, if you love me, you're going to go get a job so my kids don't starve to death. And I, I'll be honest with you. I see this. Christians will come to church. Oh, I needed that. After living a week, not even thinking about God. There's something dysfunctional about that. There's something wrong. We were not saved to be just saved. We were saved for a purpose. And that was, and that's the mission. And I'll talk about that in a second. The mission of Jesus is so simple. He doesn't have all these core values and all this. He's real simple. And the last words that he talked about, the most important thoughts that were on his mind, he said repeatedly. And I will talk about that in a second. 
But I think that sometimes we're so, oh, yes, I needed that. I need that. And it's true. The times we are going through tough times and we need to be encouraged. We need the presence of God. But at some point in time that this functional relationship has to become functional. We have to find out what is our purpose and how we can reach what is our part in making disciples of nations. And I think that's what God has put in pastor's heart is to make you ready for ministry. We're all called to ministry. So I think it's, I said said it this way. Um, You know, I think Jesus likes saying basically through, through the angel, get with the program. Just get with the program. You know, if you love me, love those who I love too. You can tell me you love me over and over and over and over. You can fast and you can pray. But if you don't go out and find a way to help people come to me, you are a living contradiction is what you are. And and I'll I'll talk about this in a second. But um, I'll just say it this way. What was Jesus's mission statement for the church? To me, it's not complicated. I'll tell you what I think. Whenever somebody is speaking the last words of their life, they value them, right? For example, if I'm on my deathbed, I'm not going to tell my kids, man, I wish I would have played PlayStation 4 more. I'm not. I'm going to tell them, son, I love you. Jesus' last words were filled with importance to him. He got straight to the point. He gave no parables. He said exactly what was on his mind. And these are the words he said. You shall be my witnesses unto all the world and preach the gospel. Go ye into all nations, make disciples of all nations, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached into all the world as a witness to all nations, and then we'll come. He said that earlier, of course. And there's other scripture he said. I mean, it's all over the Bible. He, he said he said this. He said, he said that for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. This is our mission. Our mission is to see disciple people reached see people uh, see people discipled and come to the name of Je- the name of Jesus it's not just to say god here's some glory i give it to you i worship you if we worship god but we don't speak about god we are a walking contradiction i believe that according to acts and i'll talk about that in a second we, and what i'm trying to say folks is i believe in a revival but we don't need just a feel goody fuzzy wuzzy bumpy goosebumpy revival we need an awakening of what we are called to do my job my career whatever it is that god has given me is a provision for my mission maybe god pays me full time as a as a pastor maybe not maybe he's called me to finance it and finance it my kids life and my family but i am a mission I have a call, I have a destiny, I have a purpose, and it's to fit somewhere in this thing of making disciples of nations. I think that's what is the, is happening here. Um, we're not just called to soak. And I think a lot of revivals, oh, that was awesome, that was awesome. And, and oh, that's powerful. And they would soak and soak and soak and soak, but they would never really figure out a way to be a part of the Great Commission. Um, and a lot of times that soaking, it's just Christians who are backslidden that come to God. Um, so let me just say it to you this way. Let me just give you two quick. Um, good, 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 good. Is that right? Okay. What time do we go to, Pastor? Okay. Yo, good, good, good. Um, okay, so I want to look at two quick revivals, probably the greatest revivals we've ever seen. And what is the commonality? And I'll say it real quick. How many of you guys heard of the Moravian revival? An amazing revival. It happened in the 1700s. Basically what it was, 
was it was a, a, about 200 Christians that had to had to flee to uh, let me say it's a weird German town. I always forget the name of it uh, to to uh, <laughs> Bertelsdorf, Germany, Bertelsdorf. It's not like you're calling somebody a name or something, but Bertelsdorf, uh, uh, Germany. And and for the first five years, they fought and fought and fought over Arminianism, over Calvinism, over election, predestination. They were fighting all the time. And they had one service where they all showed up. And the guy who had hosted them in Germany had an estate and he gave them a, a place to stay. He was a wealthy man, but he was a He preached a message about unity. And they all repented. And it says, even some of the old, old, old literature that goes all the way back to the original people, I've read it before online. It says, that they were not sure whether they had all went to heaven or heaven came down, but something so significant happened in that one meeting that it started a 24 hour prayer meeting for the missions, for the lost missions and the lost and evangelism for 100 years, 24 hours, 100 years. And not just that, an explosion of missionaries were going everywhere. In fact, there was, there's this one story about uh, missionaries going, I think it was in the Islamic nations, then also in the Jamaican, but they actually sold themselves as slaves so they could become missionaries in those countries. Such a beautiful sacrificial spirit. And now we don't even want to talk to our neighbor because they parked in our spot. God help us. So what happened was, I mean, it was amazing. This, but here's the thing. It lasted a hundred years. Why did it last a hundred years? Because they were focused on making disciples of nations. They were praying about making disciples of nations. All right. What about the Methodist revival? <laughs> Man, it lasted almost a hundred years too. There were basically three teachings that came out of that three tenets, three things that now have just become accepted and all Christian and practically number one, they, they, um, uh, John Wesley and, 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 and Charles Wesley and Whitfield, they, they all came with the, these, these truths from which revival just exploded. One, that by nature, all men are dead in sin. Women, all of us are dead in sin. But that we are justified by faith alone. Even repentance is something that's birthed out of having faith in Christ. You can't repent to a God that you don't have faith in, right? Okay. And then, and then, and then they say this, which is so beautiful. Faith produces inward and outward holiness, a.k.a. the doctrine of sanctification, from which we actually prepared the way for this revival, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the United States. Right? So, I, and this revival lasted almost 100 years and saw the likes of John and Charles Wesley and George Wesley Cross the globe to a mission field to preach massive crusades, massive explosion of missions, right? It said that John Wesley, it's been said of him that he preached over 40,000 sermons. And, 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 and he wrote thousands of hymns and traveled so much by horseback to all these people groups in this wild, wild loss filled with Indians missionary field. And he, he preached to them. He said he, he, he traveled so much on horseback that he circled the globe 10 times. It was equivalent to that. 
Also in the early part of this movement was when it began to spring, women began to get authority in the church. Women, women uh, began to become preachers and leadership. You, you want to know where the gospel goes, a true gospel. It brings freedom to women and children. You want to know where, 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 where the devil uh, go, uh, goes in with Islam and other religion? Women become used and children become used. I'm telling you, God brings freedom to women and children. You'll see it. People's attitudes change. Is You know where machoism comes from, and actually, I won't even go into that, but it, it, it comes from actually Islam, and it kind of snuck its way in the church in, in Spain. But anyway, I, it's a different story. Spain was invaded for a thousand years by the Muslims, and that they, they were just copying what the Muslims taught them. But um, anyway, uh, so what, what, what I'm getting at is this. What was this missionary field called? What was this missionary that was just, it was, it was, it was like, uh, that, that, that actually was called the great awakening. This was called the great awakening, right? In this mission, mission field that lasted almost a hundred years. It was a missionary, uh, field that was uncivilized and it was crazy. That was transformed into the Christian nation called the United States of America. If it wasn't for these guys, if it wasn't for Wesley, if it wasn't for the, the Wesley brothers, uh, Whitfield and others that came across and preached a wild, out of control people, a mission field, people that, the people that believed in other gods, most of all, all the indigenous population and, 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 and putting their, their, their lives on the line on horseback going different places. You and I would not be sitting here in this church today. You, we would not be here. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't even have a Christian nation. And God we trust wouldn't be on our money. Because somebody said, I will go. You know how it started? John, the Wesley brothers in Whitfield, they started a club called the Holy Club in, in England. And <clears throat> they started putting aside PlayStation 4. They started putting aside all their, and they said, we, but it wasn't religion. They were driven to sacrifice to spend more time with God. And out of that was birthed the desire to go to the United States. Out of that, it was crazy. They, they, they had a lot of trials, but it's amazing what these people did. You should read the things that John Wesley did. You should read the things that, that um, the shoemaker William Carey did in India. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's mind-boggling. But, but, but it all starts with somebody says, God, I will go and I'll do whatever you want me to do to see nations turned into your disciples. And, and it starts here. It starts in Bentonville. It starts in Arkansas. It starts at home, Jerusalem, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the world. The greatest and longest revivals of history resulted in massive outreach in massive evangelism and massive missions. And I think one of the problems we have is a tendency to define revival by what we see in the Western world and we get discouraged. But I want to encourage you about something real quick. There is an awakening happening right now. There is an awakening. I want to explain. Um, you know, right now, that one of the greatest awakenings are happening in Africa and Iran and China. Um, I was, I looked this up on Wikipedia, uh, I say Wikipedia. I hope I said that right. Uh, Wikipedia, but, um, have WikiLeaks. I don't know. Leaks. I don't know what, but anyway, uh, according to, and I'm gonna try to re read these names correctly. According to scholar Landon, um, Burl mound, mound, 
Iran today is witnessing the highest rate of Christianization in the world. And according to the scholar Shai, and I can't say his last name, of John Hopkins University Islam, our Islam is the fastest shrinking religion in Iran. While Christianity is growing faster, it's the fastest, it says. And in 2018, up to, up to half a million Iranians are Christian converts directly from Muslim families. He adds, recent estimates claim that the number might have climbed up to somewhere between 1 million and 3 million converts from Muslim families. In 2018, uh, there was a study by Gordon uh, Conwell Theological Seminary, um, and, and they discovered that more Christians live in Africa than any other continent in the world. More, and most of them are Muslim, Muslims coming to Christ in the northern part of Africa. According to an updated uh, for, uh, for 2021, there are now nearly 685 million Christians in Africa with 760 million expected by 2025. I call that revival. No, I, I call that awakening. Awakening. The Chinese government reported that they had to report we got 44 million Christians in their churches. See, what they did was they could not control the revival in China, so they made their own government church. And that 44 million doesn't include children because they won't, they, they baptized, I think in one year, 18 million, they said, supposedly. This is what China said. Yeah, I don't believe it. But I mean, I think, I think they're trying to do something to justify them persecuting the church. You're not a part of our church, Christian church. We have it. But whatever it is, but, but listen to this. Um, um, so, so when you take into account the underground churches of China, they say the estimate is to ha is to have be up to 245 million Christian Christians in China. That's almost the population of our country. I mean, it's well, we're a little bit more, we're a lot more than that now, but you know what I'm talking about. It's over half, way over half. We are seeing an awakening in the world, but when we look at our country, this is the problem. When we look at our country, we think, God, you're not doing anything. He is. Keep, keep striving. Keep working. I believe God wants to do the same thing in America. Um, Wikipedia says that in 1976, 91% of Americans claimed to be Christian. In, in 2000, 1976, in 2016, 73.7% uh, claimed to be Christian. By 2022, 64% claimed to be Christian. In a new study published in 2022, Pew Research Center projects that Christians will make up less than half of the American population if we continue to fall. And it's, it's, it's estimated by 2070, falling between 35% and 46% of the American population. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now, this is, we, you have to, to face the truth so you can seek God accurately. Does no good for him. Oh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Like they told that prophet, Micaiah, you just prophesy. Yes, you'll make it, Ahab. Yes, you will. You victory, victory, victory. And I, I'm telling you, we got to stop patting each other on the back and we got to start answering real questions so we can begin to pray real prayers. What's happening is we're not even keeping up with the birth rate, the church in America. But what's happened is we have this phenomenon. It's called megachurches. 
and I think they're great. I'm not, I'm not people, but the mass majority of those the, the, the studies, if what I've read, studies say that the majority or a good portion of those churches are just Christians transferring to one church to another. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you've seen 10 people completely lost that knew nothing about the gospel come to Jesus? I mean, folks, we are in, we're spiraling and we got to recognize that because God has a plan for it. He has a plan. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm saying, let's be real and understand how important it is that we just don't come to church. Oh, I really need a church. No, you need to get on the mission field. You need to get out in the mission field of Bentonville, Arkansas. You need to get in the mission and you need to find out what is my place to glorify his name. So they come before his throne. One day saying, it's, you know, of every tribe, kindred and tongue saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And they sing that wonderful song, that amazing song. We got to find out. So why, why, why is this happening? Because I think we saints sometimes are more focused on, on what is it? Soaking than in making disciples. Have you heard, you know, people go to church. I, I remember I was pastoring when I was pastoring here in Bentonville years ago. I, I had this couple coming, pastor knows this couple come in, their family, beautiful family. And man, they were already tithing and everything. I thought, man, that's wonderful. And all, and, 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 and let me tell you, I'm not saying that because I want to be rich. I'm saying, because I want the kingdom of God to grow. Pastors get excited about tithing because they want the kingdom of God to grow. You know, I mean, the, the, things don't make us happy. Seeing people come to Christ makes us happy. I'm going to tell you that right now. Well, or we wouldn't be in ministry. And, and so, I remember they came in and he said, oh yeah, we'll be here for life. We'll help you. We'll help you, help you. He's there for about three months, him and his family. And they're real. And then one day he just disappeared. I'm like, what happened? One day I saw him in a restaurant. Hey, what happened? I'll just call him Joe because I won't say his name. You might know him. <laughs> but I said, I said, hey, what Joe, we're, what's going on? Said, oh, pastor, we love your church. But we found one with just a little bit better children's ministry. Folks, Church is not about comfort. It's about growth. It's not about what they can do for me. It's about what you can do for Jesus. That's the, that's the God. Now we got to be prepared. We got to be equipped. We need to be healed. We need our marriages healed. All that. I'm not saying that. We need an awakening. It's not about soaking. It's about sending. It's not about comfort. It's about growth and discovering what your purpose is and your role in making disciples of nations. And, and I'm almost done here. So it says, uh, I put here in Matthew 16, 18, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Here I see Jesus saying two things when he talks about the local church. The first thing is the local church is not a sedent, sedent, uh, sedentary uh, construct, but it's a mobile and active organism reaching wherever the gates of hell are. It could be your next door neighbor, but you don't, it, we want people to come to church because church is a place where, where there's security, there's active teaching, but not everybody's going to come to church. You got to bring the church to them. And that's what I, if, 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 um, pastor, I think he's was going to have me share some other things. I want to talk a little bit about what I see in the future about that. But, uh, but, but I think that, um, Christ's idea for the local church was not about cramming as many people into a building every Sunday more than it is about basically training and sending as many people in the church to send them out. Does that make sense? 
To me, the greatest oxymoron on earth is a church with thousands of members, but just a few pastors. It's a complete utter failure pot for me, completely. Because like pastor said, the scriptures, it says this, but unto each one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. We are all called to minister. We're not waiting for one person to go up the mountain to receive the law, come down with a glow and preach a message. And, but if you tithe and you do this and you do that, then, then, then I will heal your kids and I'll preach good messages. Now I'm not trying to make fun of that because we do need good messages. We need anointed pastors, but pastors, as pastors talking about that are equipping us for ministry, equipping us for our purpose. Now, let me say that doesn't mean it's not all his responsibility. It's our responsibility. We got to listen and we got to respond and we got to pray. But you understand what I'm saying? There's like this paradigm, almost it's, it's almost Old Testament. Moses, you go up the hill, you receive the law. We don't want to talk to God unless we die. That's exactly what they told him. He says, he says, no, but God wants to come and talk to you. And they said, no, 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 no. And they lost. Did you know all Israel was called to be priests? But, but after the, the, the golden calf incident, Levi, the tribe of Levi went through and they struck down those unfaithful people and ministry was delegated to Levi, but it was God's desire that they would be a nation of priests. Where do you think that says that again? He has made us a nation. It actually says, then saying in the Greek, it doesn't say kings and priests. It says a kingdom of priests. We are all ministers. We're all called to ministry. The question not is, am I called? The question is, where's my position? What do I need to do? What needs in my life needs to change so I can be who God wants me to be. My family can be who God wants them to be. Um, I, I believe that the church is designed by Christ to be a launching pad, not a retirement home. And, and I think sometimes uh, you go into certain situations like it's cool. We got ministry. You know, I know of a certain church and I'm not going to say its name, but it's like, everything that's done the pastor's doing and it's a huge church and he's a gifted person in fact he even has these great in coliseum revivals and he shows up and he preaches and and people come to jesus but that to me it's not about me as a pastor convincing you to do what i think you should do it's about me helping you discover what god's called you do and we work as a team and i think i I think that's it i'm just i love that what pastor said about equipping saints for ministry. I, I want you to see, sink your teeth into that and, and begin to ask the Lord, Lord, what am I called to do? And begin to talk with Pastor Bill and the pastoral staff and say, what can we do to be a part of the vision that God has given world life to transform Bentonville into disciple, fully devoted servants of Christ? What can we do to extend the gospel uh, here in Word of Life in the world? I think those are valid questions. We're not called to retire. We're called to refire. We're called to be launched out from this church. So the primary purpose, again, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is centered around the Great Commission. Listen to this verse again. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you shall be what? Witnesses to to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, I think it's very important to say witnessing is just the beginning evangelism is only part we, the real the whole thing it, i think captures the idea of jesus is making disciples of nations that's that whole process but um according to this verse if we claim to be spirit-filled right the baptism of the holy spirit and this is what he's talking about go to jerusalem be filled with the spirit 
have this power. If we claim to be filled with the Spirit, speak in tongues and prophesy, but we don't share the love of Jesus, we are again a walking contradiction. Why? Because the love of the Holy Spirit constrains us to share Jesus. Now, I'm going to share some things. I'm sharing this is me personally. Uh, maybe people don't agree with this, and, and I, I'm just going to share my experience. And I, I'm, I'm not saying I'm the, I have all knowledge on this in any way, shape, or form, but I, some of the most loving people I've ever known speak in tongues and prophesy. But some of the cruel, most cruel and meanest people I know speak in tongues and prophesy. I've seen this. I've seen people who were supposedly filled with the Holy Spirit just come out of a service filled with the glory of God only to go to McDonald's and say hateful things to each other. But when they're in church, all of a sudden they're like Superman coming out of the phone booth. I feel the presence. Even their voices change. That is not filled with the Holy Spirit, folks. That's not. I've seen people who are more mean, I'll say more meaner, they're meaner, than a rabid cobra. I'm telling you, I've seen some people. I remember when the first church I ever worked at, I won't, well, it's in California. It's, it's closed down, actually. But uh, and I'm smiling. I shouldn't be smiling. I'm sorry. But, but I think this church had to, well, I just shut up. But it was governed by a family. And I worked for Pastor Sample, remember. And he started causing the church to grow. They started losing control. All them spoken tongues. All them prophesied. They come up and tell you were. And I don't care how accurate a prophet is. If they got this spirit, you run from them. If a if a prophet does not submit himself to a church and a pastor, you run from him. I don't care how, how accurate they are. But anyway, I'm not. That's a different issue. But so they literally, the board went across, rented a house without the pastor knowing with church money. Rented a house and filmed everybody that went to Pastor Sample's house. And I'm not going to tell you what they what they misconstrued, but you remember. And they lied. They sat there and lied in the con. But you know, if I say to you, you know, somebody did this or that, I don't even want to use a bad example because it's so cruel. But let's just say I I I said that you know Sandy talked bad about you. You know, I don't believe that, but then you might be thinking when she gets in, maybe she did. Well, we're talking about stuff that's ten times worse than that, that they accused him of that was a lie. I don't believe he did that, but maybe he did put our kids in the room. I mean, I'm just, I'm being honest with you. Okay. And, and he literally had to leave that church. Cruel, cruel. And they would come up to you and they could court you off scripture. They could prophesy, man, they could move in what they called the spirit and fill the dead men's bones. You know what? I don't have a problem with, I don't have a problem with satanic, which is not, they don't bother me. I've had many witches say stuff to me before. What bothers me is a smiling saint of God that's not really a saint of God. They're an angel of light. Satan comes as an angel of light. Most churches, he'd probably be an elder. Maybe the pastor. Man, that guy's really got together. But there's something wrong in his heart. And and I, and I, anyway, I don't mean to get into all that, but I do feel that we got to be careful that the litmus test to being filled with the Spirit is you go. You reach, you be my witness. You care about people, not just soak in my blessings. Um, I mean, a lot of people think, well, you know, the, 
The gifts of the Spirit make you sweet. The gifts don't make you sweet. The love of the Holy Ghost makes you sweet. And I'm going to tell you, you can have all the gifts you want in the world, but you, if you don't got the love of the Holy Spirit, you're just a sounding gong. That's all you are. That's all I am. And I think the way we see that is by the Holy Spirit love that we're constrained to talk to our neighbor, to talk to people here, begin to share the gospel, begin to be willing to find our part in making disciples of nations. I heard, uh, I heard, I don't know if I agree with this, but Don Norton said something I thought was pretty interesting. He's a friend. If you speak in tongues, but never lead anyone to Christ, you're a fraud. Think about that. And what do you say? Remember the scripture? But ye shall receive power from on high, and ye shall be what? Witnesses. That's the purpose. To reach people and make them disciples. Reach nations and make them disciples. So I say all this to say, to finish, we need those times for God to pour out his spirit. I am not saying that. We need those moments where we can absorb healing, where he can heal us, touch us, bless us. God wants to bless us, but it can't stay there. We also have to come to the place to where we can focus on making disciples of nations. Lord, I just come in the name of Jesus and I ask that if anything I said wasn't of you, I ask that you take it from the people's hearts. But God, I pray whatever it is that's from your presence, I pray that you would, you'd remind us in the night, you'd remind us in the morning that we are not just here to be saved, that we're here to love people. In Jesus' name. Well, that sure was good, and I hope you enjoyed it. Hey, listen, one thing we found is that if you don't subscribe to something like this, you probably won't continue to listen. And if you've enjoyed this like I did, I know you'll want to hear what is to come the weeks following. So why don't you click the subscribe button on whatever listening platform you use and make sure you don't miss any of the upcoming sessions. I know you will be blessed by it. We'll see you next time.